What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by one of the top defensive players in the NBA. He's a young man who's led the league in blocks per game twice already in his career, and he's entering the early stages of his prime at 25 years old. So far this season, he's averaging career highs in points, rebounds, field goal percentage, and three-point percentage, too. Indiana Pacers center Miles Turner joins me now on the Hoops Hype podcast for today's episode. How you doing, Miles? All love, man. Everything's good on my end. Got done with a little practice here in Denver and uh, just staying low-key, man. There you go, brother. Just trying to keep that oxygen up there on the mile high. But, uh, you know, speaking of being mile high, I wanted to start off by asking you, coming off last year, you know, when you were healthy, you showed that you could be one of the top defensive guys in the leagues. And, and you've been that as like a shot blocker before. But coming into this year, pretty much still fresh with a new start this year. What are your goals uh, when it comes to this season uh, for yourself? Well, for myself personally, you know, I want to be more effective on the glass. You know, you know, use my height, use my stature just to be a better rebounding big. And um to do that, being more aggressive. Um, you know, obviously, you know, my defense, I want to keep that amped up. And, you know, I put a lot of work into my shot, as I always do. So I want to be an improved three-point shooter. And, um, you know, the way Carlisle has, you know, I've been working with him even before, like right after he got hired, me and him started working together. You know, I spent my offseason in Dallas, and he was there as well. So just trying to figure out, you know, what he wanted from me and how I could be effective in his offense. And, you know, so far, so good. So I've obviously had some individual goals, but, you know, I have a lot of team goals as well. Well, what what are those goals, both individually and uh, collectively, for the team? Uh, you know, for the team, man, just missing the last year was the first time we missed the playoffs, and obviously I was hurt those last few games. But you know, that just left a really bad taste in my mouth. So advancing the playoffs is something that's huge in my mind this year. Um, and then as a team, you know, we need to we need to get back to being one of the top defensive teams. You know, I think um, coming into Indiana, people knew that it was going to be a tough game, and people I think kind of feared coming into Bankers Life Fieldhouse, which is now Gainesville's Fieldhouse. And we got to get back to that. I feel like we don't have that same thing that we're used to. As far as individually, man, you know, I think this thing's staying the same. You know, obviously, I want to be all star in this league. I think I have the talent. I think I'm capable of doing that. Uh, continuing to improve my numbers, my field goal percentage, my shooting percentage, and then uh, obviously coming back to this all defensive stuff and uh, being a defensive player of the year. I feel like I'm still haven't got the, the credit I deserve in that um, that department. So I'm still trying to do little things now to keep myself relevant in those talks. Sorry, you said at the end of that, you said you feel like you haven't gotten the credit you felt like you deserved on that end? Yeah, no, I don't think I have. You know, I think I've obviously I've led the league in blocks and that looks good and all, but, you know, no all defensive team, like not a lot of consideration to the player of the year. That's the type of stuff that individually that I'm, I'm looking to get for myself. So I feel like I've got a lot more work to do on that end of the floor. I think last year, had you not gotten hurt, there would have been a case, you know, in the, in the, you know, I'm trying to remember, you know, it was Gobert, Ben Simmons, those guys always come up usually. Um, Draymond comes up. Certainly think you would have been in the three to five range, if not higher, before, you know, you had gotten hurt. Um, you know, I mean, with that in mind, you kind of touched on being a guy that, you know, you want to get all defensive uh, team and, you know, possibly defensive player of the year. I mean, where do you think you rank as a defender in the league uh, right now at your position? Uh, you know, personally, I think that the game has evolved so much that someone in my position has to be able to guard, you know, not just post and big man, but people on the perimeter. I think that's something I do pretty well, you know, especially when I get switched out there or having to guard in the pick and roll. 
Uh, you know, I think I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty, pretty, very sustainable in that position. You know, I think I'm one of the better defenders in this league, you know, as far as being in my position. You know, so uh, what I like, well, I guess one thing that makes me different is the fact that, like, I can just do, I'm versatile in the defense. Like, I'm not just a perimeter defender. I'm not just a shot blocker. There's different facets to my game as a defensive end. And, you know, that, that's what kind of sets me apart a little bit. You know, you're still young at 25, but uh, you've been around the league a little bit now. It's, it's kind of hard to believe, but it's already been for you. Uh, this is year seven. So for you, I mean, when you look at from when you started your career um, coming into the draft to now, what have been your thoughts on your career to this point? Has it been what you thought it would be? Is, is there any like meat left on the bone. What what's your viewpoint so far in your own words on on where you're at right now going into year seven in your career? Um you know that's a great question. I think for me personally, I got to the point where I'm somebody who's respected this league and I'm someone who's known in this league, but I haven't hit that next that next step yet. You know what I mean? That next level. And I feel like I still have a lot um I still have time to get there and I uh, I think the best is yet to come, in my opinion. You know, I've been in this league for seven, going on seven years now. You know, I've left my mark on some aspects of the game, but uh, I feel like there's a lot more ascension. I feel like I have a lot, uh, like a lot longer to go, a lot more ways to go. So, you know, I feel like I've had a decent career so far, but I'm nowhere near where I want to be and where I think I can get to. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, this is going a little bit back, but I remember even coming out of high school. You know, when you and Carl Towns were two of the top centers and. You know, some of the people had uh, you ahead of uh, Carl in those rankings. And it's always interesting to see how when guys go to college and then they go into the NBA, guys get put in different situations to to do their thing. So that's always interesting to see in, in that regard. Um, do you have any looking ahead, you know, even further down the line, um, any other long term goals that that you individually and, you know, whether it's with uh, the Pacers or somewhere else down the line that, that you want to achieve, you know, hopefully before you hang up your sneakers in another, I don't know, 10 plus years? Yeah, of course. You know, I think that you know, everybody's different. You know, it's very, you be a touch on it being the same thing, the situational. You know, I think I came into a position where, uh, you know, I, I was able to start right away, you know, my rookie year, and I was kind of like stuck into a role, you know, and kind of it's, uh, I'm not going to say pigeonhole, but I was kind of, I think I was kind of thrust to a role and I was just someone who had to embrace that as opposed to breaking out as being that star player or being that main focal point of the team, you know? So um, I think I have the capability to do one such, you know, whether that's here or whether that's somewhere else, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, I still have two more years of my contract here in Indiana. And I think everybody knows at this point how much I love being in Indiana. So, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, I want to be able to be one of those guys that was known for, being one of the most like tenacious defenders out there. That's something that means a lot to me. It's very important to me as well. And getting that all getting that all star tenor, you know, just well, once you get in the foot in the door, I feel like it's a lot easier to make those teams and uh keep yourself that conversation. And then of course, you know, just being on whether it's making a huge playoff run or being a championship contender, just getting getting that first taste of, you know, real playoff basketball. And I've been outside the first round yet. So that's another thing that I'm really looking forward to myself. You know, when you talk about the playoffs, too, I, I think last year was the first time uh, that wasn't the case for you so far in, in your career, which uh, for a lot of younger guys that come into the league, that's not always the case either. So it's kind of interesting tale of both sides of the coin there when you look at it. Right, yeah. I feel like most guys come into the league and they're not making the playoffs whatsoever. They're on, they're on losing teams, losing situations. 
Then you start making it like for your friends, like Devin Booker, like he's someone who kind of came to lose organization. Then boom, they started playing well, came to a finals run. It's been consistent for me every year, year in and year out, you know, as opposed to last year, obviously, um, of being in that playoff. So getting that taste from the playoffs at such a young age, it makes you crave it, you know, more and more and more. I want to get back to that final stage. You know, and you touched on trying to get to that next step and part of Indiana's thought process and helping you guys get to that uh, next step was bringing in Rick Carlisle. And you touched on how the two of you guys had worked together a little bit over the summer. For you individually, Rick is your third coach in three seasons already. So um, thus far with Rick, like how, how would you describe him behind the scenes as a person and and as a coach so far? He's a different dude, man. I think that he's very uh, he's very locked in and dialed in when it comes to basketball. So I think he's a very cerebral guy, and you know, with that, you know, he has a little bit of court like quirkiness to him, but it's just kind of what makes him him. You know, I think if you didn't know anything about Rick, like I I knew a lot about him just from from talking to former players and kind of being in Dallas and knowing his background and whatnot. But like, if you hadn't met him before, then you know, you start trying to have a conversation with him, you would think, like, he's socially awkward. But it's not that. He's just a, a constant, like, thinker. He's, like, thinking ahead, like, all the time. And he's an interesting guy. But he really knows his stuff when it comes to this basketball stuff. And the X's knows he's one of the better coaches I've had with that. And, you know, behind the scenes, he just has the expectations. You know, he's uh, he's going he's gonna to let you do your thing, but he just he definitely has the expectation to come in here and play your hardest, like, every single day. You know, he doesn't slash on the little stuff. What's it been like for you, now that he is your third coach in three seasons, like what, what has that been like for you and this team? Cause you know, like you, you've obviously been with the core of this team for a couple of years now. What, what's it been like for you? And if you want to speak to the rest of the guys been like having that kind of rotating door of coaches, it's kind of like a carousel at this point, the past three years. Yeah. Um, I think for many guys, it can be discouraging, but I think it's only, it's only as deep as you let it get. You know, the way I look at it, you know, you have another coach that's coming here with all these different schemes. I think it makes you a better player. When you have all these different coaches who look, approach the game in a different way, you start to take that with you. Like, there's still stuff on Nate McMillan that I, that I apply to like, today's game. There's still stuff on Frank Vogel that he used to teach me as a rookie that I apply to today's game. So I kind of take the positive from it. You know, obviously the negative of uh, I'm not having any consistency in NBA head coaches and with all this experience. Um, you take a little bit from them, like year in and year out. So I think it's been a good experience for me. When you also look at, you know, the core of this team, you know, earlier in the year there was some talk about, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert possibly for Ben Simmons. And, you know, then Malcolm Brogdon signs the contract extension. So you know that he's not getting moved this year. They they can't do that, obviously. So, um when when you saw that Malcolm got that contract extension, uh, what was your reaction, and uh, what do you think that it means for for the team, especially having played with him now for a little bit? Yeah, well, Malcolm's my guy. I feel like he he wanted to be here. You know, you're gonna hear those rumors year in and year out. I mean, I I ever want to know. You know, I feel like I'm always in a trade rumor <laughs> uh, every summer or every week, whatever the case may be. Um, but no, I think Malcolm really wants to be here and be a part of the organization. And I'm glad they were able to get it done, you know, be able to secure, you know, long-term, you know, uh, point guard for the future. And one of the more underrated point guards in the league, you know, I think he's a very consistent player. He's put up consistent numbers over the past few years and uh, one of the leaders on the team as well. So, you know, I'm glad he's here. You know, I mean, you brought up a good point, obviously, about you two being in trade rumors. I mean, 
like as a player, have you seen that stuff on uh, Twitter? You know, certainly hoops hype. I'm gonna throw that one in there. Obviously, like where where do you like see that stuff when it when it comes out? Because it's like it's got to be in your ear with the way you know social media is now and and everything and the internet like that. Yeah, so you know, I would say three years ago was the first time I really kind of got to me, you know, because I was I would see it all the time and people were saying stuff like it was a sure thing, and then you know, and it's like every time I open up my phone, it's like I see my name there. So, you know, at one point it's like, damn, you know, I love the attention, but the second time it's like, you know, it could be overwhelming for a younger player because you think you're you have some, I guess, some comfortability in a city. And then, you know, you can get moved at any time. And you see situations like that across the league all the time. And I just, you know, thought I was going to be in the same position. But then you got to take an approach as, listen, you know, you got to go out there and, you know, take control of your own destiny. In a sense. You know, if you get traded, so be it. Go out there and kill it. If, you, if you're staying here with the organization, you got to come out here and, and show them why they paid you. You know, I think it's just one of the things where, you know, you can make it an ego thing, but it's a biz- it's, this is a business at the end of the day. So the organizations are going to do what's best for their organization. They don't really... They're not inclined to, you know, care about your feelings in a sense. So um, uh, that's the mindset I've adopted. And now that I, you know, I see myself in these rumors all the time, it's just like another day for me. It's like, oh, okay, well, what else to do? <laughs> I mean, I certainly can understand that uh, aspect. And I mean, look, you know this probably as much as anybody. Um, and I mean, I, I know certainly around the league, like other executives monitor it. A lot of, a lot of guys are always, you know, on on tabs or, or teams have interest in a guy and then, you know, it's whether it comes to fruition or not. But for you and in Indiana, I feel like a lot of that comes down to or has come down to for the past few years. Well, can Miles Turner and DeMontis Bonus play together in the front court? I mean, what like what do you say to that when when people ask you about, you know, the two of you guys? Because in an age where it's, you know, small ball dominated, uh, you guys, are, you know, instead of zigging or zagging a little bit and playing the two bigs with you two? Mm-hmm. Um, well, honestly, it just depends on the coach and their philosophy. I think that me and Domas play fine together. You know, the question were defensively, but I think he's done a great job of, you know, guarding the perimeter. And obviously I'm going to do, you know, what I do in the paint and whatnot. Um, but offensively, you know, it was a lot harder on me than it was on him. Because, you know, I had to learn how to play the perimeter. I'd always been, a, you know, I, can, I was able to shoot the ball, but I never actually played in the perimeter itself. Having to learn just like positioning, when to cut, like when to space up, when to spot up, all that type of stuff. I didn't just get it overnight. You know, it was a it was a big learning curve for me, and I'm more comfortable with it now that I've been doing it for the past couple of years. But you know, the fact that I feel like I've adapted to be able to play out there and you know you know be productive out there, that's the fact that we can play together. And then we have times where we're staggered quite a bit. You know, you have uh, Carlisle puts us out there, you know, where he has his time to be the five, and I have my time to be the five, and um, you know, we keep rolling. So I think it works just fine. You know, you kind of touched on a little bit that kind of the way like you've had to change your game, like the center position. Now, it's almost like you got to be a unicorn. You got to block shots. You got to run the floor and you got to shoot threes and space the floor. Um, And it's not as much like the 90s when guys were posting up back to the basket and stuff. And and you always had a mid range. But now you're right. You got to step out and, and shoot the three more. Um, It's certainly been an adjustment. I don't think really just for you. I just think for a lot of people in the league, like think about like. I had this conversation with an executive kind of the other day too. You look at like all these guys that were post players back in the day. Like I, like Al Jefferson, I don't know if he would have made it in today's NBA. And you look at even a younger guy like Jalil Okafor, right? Like this kid coming out of college, 
really great pulse player, excellent footwork, and he can't find a job in the league right now. It kind of shows the way like the league has shifted over the years, I'd say. Yeah, most definitely. You know, obviously, you know, big shout out to Big Dow. You know, that was one of my one of my vets, you know, for a while for two years or so. Um, the game has just changed so much and you know, I I really you know, when I was a, when I was younger, my father's the only one that actually made me step out and shoot threes and work on my handle and whatnot. Like every coach I played for was telling me, back to the basket, you know, hook shots, up and under, this is all you need to worry about. You know, you're, you're taller than everybody, so don't worry about doing anything else. So my dad had me stay back after like each practice and actually work on guards, like guard drills and ball handling and shooting, all that type of stuff. So had I not done that, had I just only worked on a couple facets of my game, you know, like some of my coach wanted to perform to, you know, who knows what you know what it, what it would have been. And I think when I was coming to the league, was the exact time everything was changing. You know, like me and Przingis, you know, Carl Towns and Jokic of the world. Like this is like that was kind of when you really kind of started to see that shift. So it was like ideal timing for me. No, for sure. I mean, you know, hey, Coach Scott always been harping get get that one little drop step hook shot with a right hand. That's all you need down low as a big man in today's NBA. At least that's the way I look at it. You know, obviously if you're gonna get a pick and roll dunk, that's right. different, but. Um, you know, you obviously touched on, uh, we touched on Malcolm, we touched on DeMontis, but a lot of the, the, the obstacles for you guys so far to start the year, it's kind of out of your hands. It's been health related. You know, you, you had Karis out for a bit, you had TJ out for a bit. So twofold question I want to ask you on Karis, cause I certainly had him a ton here in, in Brooklyn. One, how has he looked coming back? And two, uh, when Karras is healthy for you guys, what can that mean for the overall ceiling for the team? Well, Karras is in the ground running. I, I thought he hasn't missed a beat. He's come out there and made some crazy plays for us. And it's been obvious when he hasn't been on the floor. You know, that's not having that uh, that playmaker that he is. Uh, I think he has a very – he has a calmness to his game. And, you know, he's one of the better one-on-one players I've seen as well. And after after it's our game or mental, we don't have that guy that can break down the defense, create for others, and create for create for himself. You know, it's it's going to turn into a long season. But you know, I think that having him, Malcolm, and even TJ Warren kind of back, we'd be a very dangerous team, just because we have, you know, that scouting report just looks dangerous. You just never know who's going to go off any given night. So you know, I'm very interested to see what this team looks like fully healthy. You know, you, you touched on TJ. I mean. T- Bubble TJ Warren was like the equivalent of like, you know, hoodie mellow. Yeah, like that guy was <laughs> that guy was like unstoppable in his own right, you know? Um there's there's been some talk out there about maybe sometime in December he could come back, I think it was. Um but I mean from your standpoint, I mean, had you do you guys have like internally an idea when he could come back and and how is how is he looking on on that road to recovery? It's it's been a little bit more of an obstacle for him than I think he wanted, especially uh, you know at this point uh, in his career financially and stuff. When you're looking ahead, and and this guy's going to be a free agent after the year. Yeah, um, you know it's interesting because we thought he was going to be ready to start the season, but he obviously you know he had his setback, and it's hard for us as individuals to put a, a timetable on it because it's really all based on how he feels and how his scams come back and whatnot. You know, it's been positive, you know, so far, you know, he just got his boot off. So that was like a huge, you know, accomplishment for him to be able to just walk around on his own weight. So 
Uh, the aspect that I think fans will, or casual fans will be able to realize the fact that man, but that's on a year and a half, two years, damn near. So even when he is, you know, cleared to play per se, there's going to be a process of him getting back in basketball shape or even getting back in shape in general, then getting back in basketball shape, then getting back in team shape, you know, playing within a new system. He hasn't played. Last time he played, he was in a system that was implemented two coaches ago, you know, so there's going to be uh, an adjustment for him, but when you're a natural born scorer like that, I feel like that transition would be pretty easy. You know, it's funny too. You talk about transitions. Your rookie, Chris Duarte, is a year younger than you, which kind of is crazy if you think about it. But I mean, I kind of feel like most people, you know, coming into this year, that you know, they're looking at like Jalen Green, uh, you know, looking at Kate Cunningham and, and Evan Mobley. But for you guys, like Chris Duarte has been pretty solid, especially with, you know, Lavert out and those guys. He's going to have a continued role with you guys. What have you seen from Chris uh, so far to start the year? And what, what do you think uh, could be in this guy's future? Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to, you know, the other rookies right now, but I think Chris has put himself in a, firmly in the rookie of the year conversation. I just think the he had, he plays with this confidence that I saw him play with in the summer league. And sometimes, you know, you see that from rookies in summer league. It is what it is. But he carried that right over to training camp, to pick up, to really the game. I mean, like the way he plays, he just – he has no fear, you know. So I think someone like him, he's someone who's, who's going to be talked about for a while now. You know, him being 24 years old, he obviously has some poise and he has, um, uh, I guess, like this calmness about him that you don't see from a lot of rookies, you know, coming in. He doesn't play too fast. He kind of gets to his spots and does his thing. You know, we still reel him in here, like, every now and then, you know, as far as taking good shots and, you know, getting stuff within the flow of the offense. But, you know, he's someone who's going to be important for us down the stretch, you know, especially when we have these injuries and whatnot. He's someone that kind of – rely on at times to get his own shot or, you know, to bail us out in certain situations. So I think he's one of the better rookies, you know, one of the better rookies in the league. All the other guys get the hype just because of the social media and all that type of stuff and the market that they're in. But, you know, I think that Chris deserves all the praise that he's getting and more. So now we've certainly touched on a lot of pace stuff between you, Domas, Brogdon, Karras, Chris, you know, TJ, et cetera. Now, you take all those ingredients, you put them in. It's it's like a it's like my mom's stew. You know what I'm saying? You got like well, we cook. She does it with the filet mignon. You got the carrots, you got the potatoes, all that, and and some other stuff. And you you're whipping it all up together. So when you do that for the Indiana Pacers, right? And and you hopefully get all these guys back healthy. And the last one being kind of TJ knock on wood here. What do you think could be the outlook for this team once that happens for the rest of the season? You know, it, it'd be very easy for me to sit here and be like, oh, you know, we're a playoff team and we're going to be a top Eastern Conference team. And the reality of it is I, I don't know the answer to that question. You know, I would like to think that we'd be a competitive team. But, you know, when you have all that talent on the floor at one time, it's not about who's the most talented team. You know, there's plenty of teams out here right now. You can look on paper and talent-wise, you would think they're the best, you know, on the roster, you think they're the best team in the NBA. But, you know, it's about who's going to be the best team. And that's what, you know, Rick has been harping us on about all year. He says, we need to be the best team in the NBA. You know, we have talent individually, but we need to be the best team. So when you have all the individual talent back at the same time and everybody's firing off cylinders, of course, we're going to be a great team. But, you know, there's going to be a transition for guys that haven't played in a while. So, you know, I don't know the exact answer to that question. But, you know, optimistically speaking, I would like to think that we'd be, you know, one of the more dangerous teams in the Eastern Conference. 
You know, it's funny when you, you mentioned about Rick kind of being uh, harping on like being the best team like overall because Rick in the past, like when he was with the Pistons and even with Dallas, you know, when they won, um, his better teams maybe didn't have like an elite star. He had a bunch of really good guys that came together. So in, in theory, like that would right. fit your team. Like you've got guys that are, you know, all-star caliber guys are they considered superstars all due respect you know to domas and like you know you know a guy like malcolm brogdon no but they're in that like all-star ish range you know what i mean and you know you touched on these miles and like for me it's been kind of interesting to see so far like coming into the year i guess i'll start off with you on this did you look at the east and and after the offseason say these teams dramatically improved this offseason and 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 we're going to have to really kind of compete with them in the playoffs and stuff or or at least for a playoff spot any 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 teams really stuck out to you that wow like they made themselves better on the offseason of course you know i mean the, the first team that jumped out of chicago obviously you know they're the ones that got you know some talent on their roster and um they had a they're off to a hot start to the season as well um but then you also look at other teams like one other team to me was you look at Atlanta they made like a huge run last year it's like you'd expect them to carry over that same momentum then you mean Milwaukee's coming off a championship run so you know of course they want to be one of the better teams you know uh where else some of the top teams these and you look at like someone like Philly he wasn't no I don't think anybody knew what to expect coming from Philly with everything that was going on right now um then you have your hard-nosed teams like Miami they obviously made some offseason moves well, getting PJ Tucker. That was like a huge, you know, gift for them. Um, then, I mean, just off the top of my head, those are probably the teams that, like, I would say that, like, jumped out to East, though. But East is up and competitive. You still got, like, younger teams like Charlotte. Like, they're going to be a, they're a hard team to, to play just because they get out of run every single night. You got some more talent, uh, more talented teams like Washington. They're coming together and they're looking well to start the season. So, you know, Eastern Conference is deep. I think a lot of people don't give enough credit for what it is. No, I agree with you. I mean, you look at the East, Orlando and Detroit are the two teams that are really kind of in a rebuild mode. Just, you know, all due respect, uh, as, as the Italians would always say. Right. But, I, you know, you touched on those teams like, right, like Philly, Philly without Ben Simmons. I don't think anybody thought, hey, this is going to be the best team in the East through the first like 10, 11 games. Because, you know, you would right. think like. What he brought defensively as a as a guy that's a defensive player of the year guy and, and their point guard, that that would have an impact. It hasn't so far. Uh, you're right. The Heat have, have looked good. The Bulls, I'll be honest with you, and I mean, I'm kind of curious this a little bit from your perspective as a player, but when they got DeMar DeRozan, yeah. I wondered spacing-wise, like, mm, how does that work with Vooch and Zach Levine? Because he's more of a mid-range kind of guy. And just like, you know, those three guys, like, I mean, really, DeMar was the only guy that went to an Eastern Conference Finals once. But other than that, those three guys hadn't been associated with winning, you know, with their teams in the past. Right. Interesting. Very true. But a lot of that is situational. You know, I think that, you know, when DeMar went to San Antonio, it's not like he chose to go there. You know, he was thrust into that position and had to make the most out of it, you know. And... You know, I feel like when you have when you're someone who works at your game so much and works at your craft, you're gonna shine no matter where you're at. 
But from a team standpoint, when you got guys like I've always I've always liked Lonzo Ball. I feel like he's someone who he gets a lot of crap on his name just because he was drafted so high and he was supposed to be this, this, and that. I've always said he's a solid player because he may not score the most points every night, but he's going to lock up and he's going to be a facilitator. When you have someone like that, and even a Caruso, a guy who plays as hard as he does, and you add that into a team aspect, you're going to you're going to shine. And then Derrick's going to go out there and do it and do it and, and do what we've seen him do for years to come. You know, so and then you have Vucevic go out there. He's obviously been a bucket his entire career. So you know, when you bring together guys with the same goals in mind, or that kind of play like the same way or the same mentality. And like it almost has to work. So it's early now. So we'll see what goes on throughout the season. But you know, it's like a recipe for, you know, success when we look at it like that. Keep this one on the ad, brother. But I think if they make a white men can't jump two sequel, I think that Alex Caruso is gonna be the guy instead of like Woody Harrelson. That guy, <laughs> when I see this dude go for dunks, Twitter goes off. It's freaking hilarious. This guy was like a, a cult icon. Every time. With the Lakers, man, I, I swear, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, it's coming together for for those guys for sure. And you know, even Washington, like getting Dimwitty, like they don't even have Rui Hachimura yet. Like yeah. they played well. Cleveland lost Sexton, but you know, it's funny. I said about you guys being kind of big, but Cleveland has damn near. I, they, I think they have like three seven footers. They're starting in the front court with with Lowry and and Evan Mobley and then uh, Jared Allen. Like you talk about going totally against the grain, yeah. and like that's work for them. The Knicks, you know, Tibbs is going to Tibbs, and they're going to play hard. And I, I like Julius Randle's been like I give him credit he had a breakout year, but the fact that he's carrying it over still, uh, I don't think some executives around the league believe that that would be the case. But like kudos to him, and they improved. You know, the Nets are the Nets. You can never count out KD and, and Kyrie. I mean, excuse me, uh, Harden. You you actually can't right. count out Kyrie now. Oh, but uh, – <laughs> Yeah, good. <laughs> but, yeah, and you know, last thing, you, know, you touched on uh, Lonzo Bull. I mean, LaMelo's been out of his mind. Miles Bridges has been fantastic this year. That guy is going to get a bag and a half uh, this offseason. So, like, kudos to him so far and knock on wood. Hope he can stay healthy. But, yeah, like – you know what I'm saying, brother? Like the the Bucks are the tenth seed right now in the East, which means nothing. It's 10, 11 games in. But you know the Hawks you touched on, they're kind of like the same record as you guys. Like the, the East is so wide open to me in that regard. I I really think like you hit it on the head. The one through eight seeds are you know it's only a two game. It's it's early. It's only two game difference. Like anything can happen. I I really look forward to seeing uh, what happens in the East. And I think you made a good point on. Um, you know how they're how this conference is kind of maybe overlooked a little bit. Um, anything else around the league that has surprised you maybe to start the season, or maybe just like trending things with with players that has been going on in, in the locker rooms that you guys are keeping tabs on? Um, not necessarily. I feel like the NBA is such a big uh, such a big soap opera that every day there's gonna be some sort of drama or some sort of something going on in the league. So, you know, we follow stuff like that. Like, oh, Dan, did you hear about, like, like last night, you know, you hear, oh, did you hear about Jokic and Morris or stuff like that? But as far as any little, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, not necessarily. I feel like all the stuff that comes down on Twitter and social media, like, that's the first stuff, first time that we hear about it. We don't hear about stuff that happens on other teams, like, verbatim. It's just, like, you hear about it on social media, it's like, oh, damn, that's crazy. And you kind of just keep pushing about your day, you know? No, sounds about right. And, I mean, look, 
I certainly want to let you keep pushing with your day and 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 enjoy some of the the downtime you got as you get ready um, for the rest of the schedule coming up. But Miles, as always, thanks for joining me. It's always a pleasure, and I certainly wish you and the team uh, the best of luck as you continue the season, my man. Appreciate it, brother. You got it. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High Podcast with guest appearances from NBA players such as Miles Turner, coaches, executives, and media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter, at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Miles, too. He's at original underscore Turner. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.